This evening in our study of the book of Revelation, we come to the opening of the seventh and the last seal of Redemption Scroll. Now, these are events that are all going to take place in the future. We don't know when they will take place. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know the seasons. But we do know that this will happen because God's Word says that it will. God's Word has declared it. The scroll that we've been talking about, Redemption Scroll, is the title deed to the earth. And in chapter 5, Jesus took the scroll out of the Father's hand, and one by one, he began to open up the seals. Six of those seals have been opened now, and each one of those seals brings a mighty judgment upon the earth. And each of those six seals are terrible. We can't imagine the horror that will come uh, during those times, but the opening of this seventh seal that we're beginning to study now is even far worse than anything we've talked about before. This seventh seal is what is called the Great Tribulation. This is the last three and a half years of the Tribulation period. The first part of the Tribulation was simply called Tribulation, and uh, it's hard to imagine there could be anything worse than what we've already talked about, but there will come something worse. And so ominous this is that all of heaven pauses and waits to see the judgment that God is going to pour out. And so there's this eerie silence that prevails all over heaven. The noise of praises, the sounds of men and angels as they sing to God, all of that is shut down for a period of 30 minutes. Now, we might not think that 30 minutes sounds like a very long time, but as we were speaking about last week, silence in heaven is not a usual thing. It's a very unusual thing. And this silence in heaven will be so ominous and so eerie that there's a tone of anticipation there as everyone waits to see these other judgments that are going to fall. In the opening of the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets. And each of those trumpets sounds, and under each one there's a new calamity that comes. Tonight we're going to talk about the first four of those trumpets that sound. And these are judgments that take place upon the planet. So if you have your Bible there, Revelation chapter 8, let's stand and read just a, just a few verses here to get going tonight. Revelation chapter 8, let's look at verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now if you'd go uh, down to verse number 6, it says... And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who have come out tonight. We just ask you, Lord, to open up your word before us. We pray that uh, we might have understanding. We might see these terrible things that are coming, but know that we have our faith in you and that we need not fear any of this because we won't see it, at least not on this earth. So we thank you for that, Lord. Bless in the sermon in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Four trumpets sound in these verses that we're going to finish studying tonight through the end of this eighth chapter. And I've titled the message tonight, Earth Day in the Tribulation. Earth Day is going to be much different than the one that's celebrated April 22nd of each year. You know, I believe the Bible does teach us that we, we do have a responsibility towards the place that we live. We ought to be good stewards of the planet on which we live. I think it's wrong for us to needlessly pollute the earth. I do believe that we ought to have clean water. We ought to have clean air. I think it's good to have sound environmental policies. And yet I also believe that God has created 
the earth for man. God didn't create the man for the earth. He created the earth for man. And so that means that God has given us certain things on or in the earth that belong to us. And when God created the earth, he waited and created man last. Then he put man on the earth and he showed him all things that belong to him. I'm afraid that there are many environmentalists who think that the opposite is true, that they believe that man is a product of the earth, and so the earth then is really our God. And rather than giving reverence to the one who created this world, they give reverence to the earth itself. Whenever you hear that term, Mother Nature, then you know that a person has the wrong idea about God and about who he is and about how we got here. But with all the environmental awareness that we have today, and there's much of it, yet still we take the place that we live for granted. And we assume that grass is going to grow, and we assume that crops will produce, we assume rain will come and the sun will shine. I mean, every day that happens, every morning that we get up, the same things take place. And so we think that tomorrow and tomorrow after that, that it will always be the same. And so we never really stop to thank God that he's the one who consistently keeps all of this world operating exactly as it should day by day. Well, in the tribulation, there's coming an earth day. And it won't be one day, but it actually will be several months. And all the people of the world will see how that God controls Mother Nature. Put that in quotation marks. God controls Mother Nature. God is the one who twists and turns the knobs. And God can do with his creation exactly as he pleases to do. The scripture says that all things consist by the power of Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. He controls it all. And so with one simple blast of a trumpet, God is able to change any natural process. So after this period of silence in heaven is over, the trumpets then start to blow, and each one of them, one of them brings an ever-worsening judgment upon the earth. Now let's take a look then at these four trumpets that are in this eighth chapter. Verse number six says, And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded... And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. So the first trumpet sounds, and this is a judgment on vegetation. Not long ago, there was someone who asked me, well, how can we know that things that are spoken of in the book of Revelation are, how can we know that when certain things are symbols, and when do we know that things are literal? Well, the best rule for determining uh, whether something is symbolic or literal is, first of all, to take the text literally whenever you can. Unless there's some indicator there that tells you that it's a symbol, then you ought to take it literally. And that doesn't matter if you're reading Revelation or if you're reading Genesis or 1 Kings or Malachi or Matthew. The rules for interpreting the Bible are the same all the way throughout. I mean, you can tell what the Bible is speaking of, whether it's literal or whether it's symbolic, by the context in which those words come. Now, one of the great problems in interpreting the book of Revelation is that there are many people who do take the things that are written here and they make symbols out of everything. And as you can imagine, if you take away literal interpretations of the Bible, that means that you're going to have a variety of ideas about symbols. And if the symbol is not clearly told you, if there in fact is one, If the Bible doesn't very clearly tell you what that symbol is, then it leaves things up to any one person's interpretation. And so that means that there would be many different 
uh, interpretations that could be possible. Those who don't take a futuristic view of the book of Revelation as we do, they don't take the things in Revelation as being literal. And so they end up then with those many varieties of interpretations. And what happens is the book of Revelation becomes totally incomprehensible. And that's probably why many of you read the book of Revelation and perhaps you've read other things and you're very confused about what's taking place and you don't understand what's going on. Well, I don't believe that God would put any book in the Bible that he doesn't intend for us to understand. Now, he calls this the book of Revelation. And if the book doesn't actually reveal anything, then it's certainly a misnomer to call it Revelation. So this book is not going to leave us in the dark. I mean, we can figure these things out, and God intends for us to know what this all means. So I believe that the best way to do that is to take the Scriptures literally. Take them just as they say, and there's no reason that would we, we would want to consider them otherwise. Now, to some, when you read things that are in Revelation, it all seems fantastic, it, it seems impossible. But if you're a person who believes that God is the creator, that God controls all, thing, all things, then, then God is able to do with his creation as he wants to do. And so when the Bible says something like it does right here in these verses, that there was hail and fire mingled with blood that fell on the earth, then I believe that's true. I believe that's going to happen. Now let's go back into the Old Testament for just a minute and let's see if we can find anything like this in Scripture. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 9. If you don't believe that the Bible and and Revelation is literally true, then you're going to have a real hard time with things that are written in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 9, Moses was dealing with Pharaoh about letting the children of Israel leave Egypt. Pharaoh refused to do it and so... Uh, God sent ten plagues on them. And one of those plagues, and interestingly enough, it was the seventh plague. And that's an interesting number all throughout the scriptures. But this was the seventh plague, and it was a plague of hail and fire. If you look at verse number 23, it says, And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt, so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was not like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Now, one of the effects of that plague was to, was to damage the vegetation that's in Egypt. Look at verse 25. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb, every herb of the field, and break every tree of the field. Well, in Revelation 8, we see the very same kind of judgment. There's a judgment there upon vegetation. Well, the one that was on Egypt was just upon that one country. And in one part of the country, the land of Goshen, where Israel lived, there there was a shield of protection that was put on that particular part. But this trumpet that sounds during the tribulation will bring a judgment that won't be confined in that manner. Instead, what we find here is that one-third of the entire earth, over one-third of the entire earth, God is going to destroy all of the green grass. He'll destroy all of the trees. And I think we can safely assume that he'll also destroy all of the crops over one-third of the earth. So if we think about that for just a moment... If you think about what would happen if one-third of all the vegetation upon the earth was destroyed. Well, the crops, of course, would be an obvious problem 
because the world at this time is already going through a time of famine. We've already seen that through the opening of the other seals. So there's a time of famine already upon the world. And so you destroy food and you destroy, destroy the livelihoods of people. That's only going to heap misery upon misery, more starvation upon a world that's already in a very depressed economy. But think about the planet itself. I mean, what happens if you destroy all of the green, all the green things that are upon the earth? Well, in the United States, we've already uh, proceeded with enough deforestation that we actually only produce, we only have enough vegetation to produce 60% of the oxygen that we consume. And so I can envision a world in which oxygen is depleted. So I think then we see in this trumpet judgment that crops and oxygen are depleted. I don't have to tell you what happens when, when you don't have enough oxygen. If you've ever been in an extremely high elevation, you know what it's like to uh, uh, be in a place where you just don't have enough to breathe. I remember when we used to uh, ski in Colorado and in Wyoming, we were in some very high elevations, and the oxygen is, is lower there. And so it would take us like two or three days for our bodies to get used to that. And even with just a little bit of exercise, you're just huffing and puffing. You're trying to get enough oxygen. Al Gore, who invented the Internet, wrote a book that was titled Earth in the Balance. And folks, when we get to this time, the earth is going to be completely out of balance and there's going to be a lot of people trying to figure out how to get it back into balance. So the first trumpet sounds and there's a judgment on vegetation. And so this Earth Day starts off with a big bang. Then we have a second trumpet that sounds and this is judgment on the sea. Verses 8 and 9, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. Now here's one of those places where, where you do have to look very carefully at what's written. John says that this trumpet blew, and then there was something that looked like a mountain, that was cast into the sea. He says, as it were, a mountain. Well, could God pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea? Well, interestingly enough, Jesus said that we could do it with enough faith. He says in Matthew 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have enough faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And so if we can do it by faith, and certainly God, who's the object of our faith, then he could do it. But we notice here that the Bible does not say that it was a mountain. It says, as it were a mountain. And so to John, it's something that looks like a mountain. Now earlier, as we were studying this, the opening of the six seals, we, we found that there were meteors, or most likely there were meteors that fell on the earth. And I think it's interesting, the analogy that's given in Revelation chapter 6 about, uh, in verse number 13 about this. It says, And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. It's interesting there that, that when Jesus talked about figs and mountains and here in Matthew chapter 21, and here we find the very same kinds of analogies. Here is a mountain that falls into the sea. Uh, that could be an asteroid that enters into the Earth's atmosphere. It's on fire and then it plunges into the sea. And that could be so huge that it would cause a tsunami that's even far greater than the one that we saw in 2004 in Southeast Asia. 
So this is so devastating that seafood and commerce are disrupted. That's what goes along with this trumpet. Seafood and commerce are disrupted. So one-third of all the creatures that are in the sea die. And I would suppose that with all the devastation that's on the land, with all the crops that are burned up, that there may be some people who would say, well, at least we can turn to the sea. There's still plenty of food in the sea. But that won't be the case because what God is doing, he's pouring out his wrath on all parts of the earth. And so the sea creatures die and they float to the top. They're carried by the waves to beaches all around the world. Now, one of the things I really hate is the smell of fish. Rotting fish is especially bad. Whenever I go down to Fisherman's Wharf, I mean, I I have to hold my nose. I I don't like the smell of fish. But I, I can't even imagine what this would be like, that just a few feet away on the beach, that there would be perhaps millions of sea creatures that are washed up all along the shores... And I I can see tourism in San Francisco taking a big hit when you have all that rotting fish. But it's not just sea creatures because this tsunami destroys one-third of the ships that are on the sea. In that 2004 tsunami, I know you saw the newscast, and there were ships that were splintered and broken up and thrown up on seashores. And in this judgment, this trumpet judgment that comes, one-third of all the ships will be destroyed. Many of them will be sunk. Others will be, like we saw on television, thrown up on the beaches of the world. And so with all of the crops that have been burnt up, the ability to get food and, and what people need in different parts of the world is going to be very, uh, very, uh, very much restricted, so it's nearly impossible. But then there's another piece to this also. The sea becomes blood. In the plagues that were on Egypt, one of the judgments that God brought upon Pharaoh was that water was turned into blood. And so the land stank with all the rotting fish that was there and with that rotting blood. So what we see here then is God twisting the earth. He's turning the knobs. He's doing exactly as he pleases. Now, Henry Morris, who uh, makes an interesting observation about this in his book, The Revelation Record, And he says that scientists will have their telescopes trained on space and they'll see this asteroid or this comet, if that's indeed what it is. They'll see this coming towards the earth. People will will see it in the broadcasts that are on television and everybody will look at that and they'll realize they have no way that they can avoid it. There's no way to stop it. And so at that time, no one is going to take for granted how that God protects this earth. And how God keeps everything just perfectly aligned. So now we have two trumpets that have sounded. And then a third angel blows the trumpet. And we find this in verse 10. And the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven. Burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers. And upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So the third trumpet sounds, and what we have here is a judgment on fresh water. Now that second judgment was upon the sea, but perhaps this one is even far greater. It turns out to be worse, because now fresh water is affected. So there's a great star that falls from heaven. If you remember, one of the things that we learned earlier in our study is that the word star in the Bible can refer to any type of heavenly body. And so there are many people who believe that what happens here is the earth actually passes through the trail of a comet and pieces of that comet fall all over the world in bodies of fresh water. The star is called Wormwood. 
And in the Old Testament, we find seven references to wormwood. And it always has something to do with bitterness and judgment. And in this case, it has a poisonous effect on all of the fresh water supplies upon the earth. So in this judgment, the drinking sources are devastated. Drinking sources are devastated. And when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the very first crisis that they encountered was with drinking. They were very thirsty, and so they came to the waters of Merah. And if you remember the story, uh, they were so thirsty that I think they probably just plunged into the water and they began to drink. But they found out that the waters were poisonous. They were very bitter, and so they couldn't drink of it. So Moses took a tree, and he cast it into the waters, and those waters became sweet. Well, that tree was symbolic of the cross of Christ. The cross changes the bitterness of sin and brings health to our soul. Well, that, that was an opposite miracle of what we see here because here the sweet waters are made bitter. And certainly anyone who rejects Christ will find that whatever it is that they enjoyed upon the earth will bring bitterness, the bitterness of damnation. This year, as we all know, we're, we're facing drought conditions in California. How many of you received your water bill? Or if you live in Santa Rosa, at least anybody live in Santa Rosa? I do. We received a water bill, I think it was uh, just a few days ago, and, uh, or a letter from the water company. I don't know if it was in the bill or not, but I, I saw this, that um, they're going to put a surcharge on the amount of water that you use. So what they're trying to do is to cut back. And, and so they're trying to get, I think it's a 15% reduction in the usage of water. So if you use more than you're supposed to, then they're going to give you a surcharge on that. Well, with the water shortage will experience the inconvenience of not having enough fresh water. Now, I don't think any of us are going to go thirsty, but we'll be inconvenienced because we can't use as much water as we would normally use. Well, if you think about one-third of all the fresh water on the earth affected, then this is going to be more than just an inconvenience. You know, sometimes I think about what it would be like if we were to have a strong earthquake here and all the pipes burst, and so we were unable to get fresh water. That would be more than just an inconvenience. Now, fresh water is essential to everything that we do. It's essential to our survival. But in the tribulation time, this great time of tribulation, water is going to be cut off to a large portion of the world. And so we have problems here with death from 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 thirst, and that joins the problems that are already upon the earth by death of starvation. So when there is no fresh water, of course, it's not only humans that suffer. There are livestock. You can't raise livestock without fresh water. You can't grow crops without water. And so, as you see, as this thing goes along, the calamities begin to mount and mount and keep increasing with the sounding of every judgment, every trumpet. Now, as if that weren't enough then, there's still more to go because tonight we're going to look at one more and we're looking at the fourth trumpet tonight because these first four all concern judgments upon the planet. So a fourth angel steps forward and he blows his trumpet. That's verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So the fourth trumpet sounds, and what we have is judgment in the sky. The earth, of course, is dependent upon light and heat that we get from the sun. 
Scientists tell us that if our earth was just a little bit closer to the sun, then we wouldn't be able to live here. We'd all burn up. And it tells us if we lived a little bit further away, that uh, plants and animals would freeze to death. And so this world would be a very cold, dark place. And so we are totally dependent upon the sun. So what happens then if God begins to tinker with the sun? What if he shades it or covers it up? What if the amount of sunlight that we receive was reduced by one-third? Many people come to California because the days of sunshine that we have here. And, and uh, when this time of tribulation comes, California is not going to be a place of respite because there will be no sun here either. But that was another plague that God brought on Egypt. In Exodus chapter 10... The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. So in this judgment, heat and light are diminished. Now perhaps scientists will be able to come up with a naturalistic explanation about those first three trumpets. Because after all, what you can't do, you can't avoid an asteroid, you can't avoid a meteor or a comet or anything like that. And scientists have been telling us for years, and we know this, that our Earth and, and our whole solar system is moving through space. And they tell us now that it's inevitable that sometime or another we're going to have a devastating encounter with some kind of a heavenly object. Remember a few years ago when the, when the space station was going to fall back to the earth, what, some places of the world there was panic, wondering where that was going to hit because nobody knew. And there we're just talking about a man-made thing, a small thing, a space station. But our earth is traveling through space, and it's only God himself that keeps us from colliding with something that will completely obliterate this planet. You know, I had somebody come into the office just the other day, and and they asked me, what do you think about all these things that are going on? What do you think about the world coming to an end? What do you think about all that? One of the things that we heard in the keynote address of John MacArthur in the uh, conference that we went to, he actually, uh, if you have the opportunity to download it on the Internet, it's a great sermon about um, God... uh, God, uh, creating the world and how God's in control of everything. And one of the things that God said, that seed time and harvest, the planting and all that is going to go on until he stops it. I mean, men cannot destroy this world. I mean, people are worried about global warming and worried about all these other things and about thermonuclear war and all of that. We're going to destroy the planet. We can't destroy the planet. And that's because God said he's in control of it and it will be here as long as he says it's going to be here. So we can stop worrying about that. We're not going to use up or get rid of this planet or make it uninhabitable. It's impossible. Only God can do that. But when this trumpet sounds then, how are scientists going to explain that one-third of the sunlight, one-third of the stars is completely cut out? They They don't shine as they normally would. Now, some try to explain it away, and they say, well, when the meteors hit the earth, the clouds of dust will be thrown up into the sky, and so the sun will be blackened. Another solution that was proposed is that God speeds up the rotation of the earth. And so instead of having a 24-hour day, he speeds it up to where we only have a 16-hour day. I think that a better explanation of it, though, is that God stops nuclear reactions that take place in the sun and in the stars so that they don't shine as brightly. You see, uh, uh, clouds, that come for, clouds that come up as a haze and block out the sun, that really doesn't fit the bill 
of what it says here. And neither does speeding up the rotation of the earth. That doesn't exactly fit either because the scripture very clearly says that these heavenly bodies themselves will be smitten. And so the sun is going to be smitten. The stars are smitten. And so what God does, he he controls every movement. He controls every process. And God can even change the way that things work if he wants to do that. Later, we find out in the book of Revelation that this process is reversed because the sun will become hotter than it normally is. So global warming, forget about that because God's going to make the sun hotter or make it even hotter, I should say. I mean, you talk about global warming then. But here we see that the earth is affected. But God can reverse everything. God can speed things up. God can do anything that he wants to do. So earth day in the tribulation is not going to be a question of what is the earth doing to us, or what are we doing to the earth, rather, but what is the earth doing to us? And more specifically, what is God doing to us? Because God is the one who's in control. So God's controlling Mother Nature, and Mother Nature is very angry. And as we all know, the saying, if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So, really, as we all know, Mother Nature has nothing at all to do with this. We're we're talking here about the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They have their way with the earth. And what Christ is doing, he's reclaiming this world as his own. Now, for now, in what we've been reading here, he stops with judgment over one-third of the earth. He stops there. But the Bible tells us there's coming a time when the entire world will be affected, and in fact, the entire world will be burned up with fire. Peter wrote about this in Second Peter chapter 3. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. And when he speaks of the day of the Lord... I explained this a little bit last week, a similar terminology that when you talk about the second coming of Christ, because he's talking about the rapture, he's speaking about tribulation, he's talking about the millennial reign, and also the time that God is going to destroy the world by fire. Now let me close then our message tonight with this thought. Fasten your seatbelts, because the worst is yet to come. This is what we see in verse number 13. And I beheld... And heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Woe, woe, woe. Those are triple woes, and they're put there for emphasis. And when you see the word woe used in the Bible, that's always followed up with a warning of judgment. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 3, verse 11. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And no truer words nor applicable words could have been written concerning the time of tribulation because men will receive the just rewards of their wickedness. You know, there are a lot of people that are fooled today by sweet preachers who say, well, God's not going to judge anybody. God is not going to cast anybody into hell. God loves everybody. Preachers don't preach about hell because they don't want to say anything that's negative. And so they might as well pass up on the book of Revelation. In fact, many of them do. They don't mention these kinds of things. But here we see that God's wrath is kindled. Now, the fact of the matter is, and we'll see it again as we go through Revelation, that that God only has so much patience. God's only waiting for so long. He tolerates wickedness only for so long. And then God gets tired of it. God's through with it. 
And God brings everything to a close. What we have now is an extended day of God's grace. And thank him for that, that people can be saved. And the day of grace has now been in process for, for 2,000 years and longer. And we don't know when things are going to end, but they will end. It's going to come to an end. So after the opening of these first six seals, and then especially with the opening of the seventh seal and the blowing of these four trumpets, it seems like the earth is ready for rest. I mean, what more, what more can you do to the earth? I mean, how, how, how much more can people be affected? And I'm, so I'm sure that people are thinking that, and they say, well, it must be about over. There can't be much more. But then this angel comes. He comes in the heavens, and he says, whoa, 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 you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, just as a footnote to the conclusion of the message, the King James Version reads there in the 13th verse that this was an angel, an angel flying in the heavens. The modern versions interpret that as an eagle. They say this is an eagle that flies in the heavens. I I thought about that or do think about it. And an eagle would sort of be anticlimactic at this point, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, even if an eagle could speak, what is that in comparison to an angel? But what if another angel shows up, one terrible, one mightier than what we've heard before, and there's first four trumpets, and a mighty angel stands there or flies in the heavens and says, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. That, that seems to make a much greater impact. Well, the whole point here is that people had better watch out because God's not playing around. God comes with vengeance. Poor old Nebuchadnezzar found out what happens when you cross God And finally, his conclusion was this in Daniel chapter 4. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will... In the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nobody can stop God. Nobody can stop his judgment. God has every right to judge, and he will judge, and no one will question what it's God's right to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And again, as we talked about earlier in the first prayer before the message began, we thank you, Lord, that we will, if we're saved, if we know you, we will not see these things because we won't be on the earth. Our only vantage point for this will be as we watch it unfold from the glories of heaven. Pray, Lord, that every person in this room tonight knows you as Savior because we don't know when you're coming back. When all these things are set in motion, then those who have heard the gospel of Christ and have not believed will have no chance of believing later. So, Lord, I pray that anyone here tonight who doesn't know you would receive you as Christ even now. And those of us who do know you, we pray, Lord, that we might sound the warning that the world needs to hear. Jesus is coming back. It's time to repent and believe. Blessing this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.